Does your child struggle with reading or spelling? Are you wondering what to do for a child with dyslexia? On this episode of Brainy Moms, Terry and I interview reading and dyslexia specialist, Donisa Walker. Donisa tells us what's happening in the brain of struggling readers, how there are different types of dyslexia that show up in a variety of ways, what some warning signs are that parents should look out for, and what the most effective interventions should include. Donisa shares her journey from classroom teacher to board-certified cognitive specialist and how brain training has changed so many lives of both kids and adults who struggle with reading. This episode is educational, inspirational, and carries a message of hope from a delightful and charming reading expert. Hi, and welcome to this episode of Brady Moms, brought to you today by Learning RX Brain Training Centers. I'm your host, Dr. Amy Moore, here with my co-host, Terry Miller, coming to you as usual from Colorado Springs, Colorado. We're excited to welcome our very special guest today, Donisa Walker. Donisa is a reading and dyslexia specialist. She has been working with dyslexic children for more than 30 years, but her unique perspective on dyslexia and how it impacts families comes from both personal and professional experiences. She's passionate also about brain training and the ability to change lives of not just all clients, but especially those with dyslexia and related reading disorders. Donisa lives in Louisiana, where she owns and operates Learning RX Shreveport. Donisa, I'm so glad to have you with us today. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's a blessing. Good. Well, I heard a little birdie told me that you have an amazing story of how studying dyslexia and helping people with dyslexia became your passion. Would you be willing to share that story and a little bit about your life and what brought you to where you are today? Would you share that today? Sure. So um, kind of an interesting, today is a really special day. I know it's the day we're recording, so I'm not sure if it's the same day that we're airing, if it's live, but um, the April the 21st is 33 years ago. Um, my brother was murdered by a classmate uh, that he had gone to stay with. And um, when that happened, when that incident occurred, it was very hard on our whole entire family. Our whole entire family was impacted in ways that are just still fathomable, you know, that just keeps happening. But it, long story short, my parents, my dad was a pastor, my mom, or he still is a pastor, and my mom, she actually um, was a homemaker, but pastor's wife, you know, doing everything, mm-hmm. very busy folks, and it really just struck us all very hard, and so I took on a role, I was in early years of college, um, in my mind, I thought I was going to be a medical doctor, that was my plan. And so even though it was the early years and I wasn't in formative classes yet, I was taking the sciences and, you know, doing that sort of thing. And long story short, my siblings, I started working with them and it was uh, April, senior year, my sister and my brother was in eighth grade and um, was helping them to try to get ready for finals, that sort of thing. And I had always known that my siblings did not like reading. I had always known because they made fun of me. In fact, my sister used to sing a song, you know, on the trampoline, read, 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 eat, 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 get so fat, you turn plum green. It was so funny. Anyway, she would make fun of me because they'd be jumping around on the trampoline, playing, doing their thing. And I was reading, you know, I had books open. And so I knew she didn't like reading. Um, I knew that 
they preferred, you know, doing other things and avoided reading. But I thought that was more of a lazy thing or a preference that, you know, they still like it, you know. I didn't realize that it was a difficulty. Uh, of course, I was young and I didn't know anything about dyslexia or reading disabilities or anything about that, you know. And um, so long story short, working with them, they blew up at me when I was trying to force them to do this reading that, you know, they didn't read. They had learning disability with reading or, you know, a struggle with reading and kind of got angry at me, you know, that, you know, I was trying to force them to do that. And so it really just boggled my mind because I never struggled with it, you know. And so I began to work with them and show them the patterns of reading and how it works and, um, you know, how the code comes together and things like that. And it, I started having these moments in life where I realized as I started through education and decided to go into the education field and, and really work with students with reading and seeing that change in their lives, big life change for me. Once I realized that, then I was able to show them and, you know, how to read. And they're very successful. Um, they have the gift of dyslexia, which is that out-of-the-box, you know, thinking piece. And so that's why I got passionate about it. And I was passionate about reading. I was passionate about helping students, you know, really accomplish that. I read everything I could get my hands on about reading and the brain and everything to do with that. So that's kind of, you know, background. It's kind of poignant that, you know, today is a special day, uh, you know, for that. But he, he definitely had a legacy, um, but it was not the legacy that I thought it was going to be. Right. Yeah, that's kind of beautiful. How, well, it's very yeah. beautiful how that tragedy opened this door for mm-hmm. how you were going to use your giftings for the rest of your career. Right. And I not love what the- you thought it was going to look like. Yeah. yeah. I, I love the term, the gift of dyslexia. Can you talk right. to us? I'm curious. I want to hear more about that. Can you talk to us about that? The gift is the out of the box way of thinking. I think it's like, think of it like the butterfly in the brain. Um, it's basically just the way that you think, you know, it's um, a 3D approach. It's a way of looking at things in a different perspective and being able to look outside the box. Because we tend to follow protocols and follow codes and, you know, really dig into those types of things when we don't struggle with that. But when you struggle with that, you also get that gift inside, which is that really strong visual skill, really strong ability to be creative. And if, you know, we look at who all of the famous dyslexics are, they were really out-of-the-box thinkers. I mean, even in our culture today, they're really out-of-the-box thinkers, um, I was watching a uh, show the other night and uh, the good doctor, and I don't know if you might like that. It's a it's wonderful a, show. A mm-hmm. good doctor and I love it. Yeah. So anyways, on there, the Dr. Andrews was sharing that he, he was dyslexic and I know he's a fictional character, but it's important to understand that doctors and people who are very well gifted, um, people who have such, you know, high intelligence and great talent. These people, uh, many of them have dyslexics. Dyslexia is highly common. There's many different types of dyslexia. It's not one thing fits all. And I love the gift of it is the creativity. It's that that out of the box way of thinking, and it's it's just wonderful. It's there's no other words for it. It's just wonderful. 
So I want to go back to the basics a little bit for our listeners who might be curious about dyslexia, might be wondering if maybe their child has it, but don't know enough about it. So talk to us about what dyslexia is. And you mentioned that there's more than one type. So share that with us too. So one of the things that there's, there's like nine different types of dyslexia and it impacts the brain in different ways. But the primary thing to remember is that it's a neurological processing issue in the brain. So dyslexia actually means broken words, right? Um, But a lot of people think that means that you flip letters and that's actually not the case. Some students flip letters, but it's more of them flipping them in their mind than flipping them on the paper. So people perceive that that flippage happens um, every time they see it off the paper, like it's jumping around on them. And that's not actually what happens with most dyslexic students. That's actually very uncommon. Um, Some students do struggle with that. Sometimes it's because of lighting. Sometimes it's because of other issues. But the easy way to say this, and this is the way I tell, you know, most of my parents and people that I work with is that just think of, uh, of it as bridges that are not there in the brain. Think of the two different parts of the brain as being, you know, a visual and an auditory, not necessarily a left brain, right brain thing, but more of a visual and auditory that need to act together. And there, the bridge is kind of clogged. And so you can't get the information across like you need to. One of my friends, um, Dr. Ledbetter, says, you know, those uh, neurons that fire together, wire together. Uh, I've probably heard you say that a hundred times uh, in, mm-hmm. in life. But the, the point of it is, is that when, when they're firing together and wiring together, they're making those bridges or those great highways and connections. And anytime we have better highways, freeways, bridges, our travel is better. So when we don't have enough of that connectivity, we are trying to use too many different parts of the brain inefficiently. So it's not that the person can't do those things. It's more that it's very laborious and not efficient. And so I get a lot of people that say, well, so-and-so can read. So-and-so can't. They can't be dyslexic because they can read. It doesn't mean that they can't. It means that it is much more laborious. It's a lot more work. It's much more fatiguing for the brain. And it can take a lot longer for them to accomplish it because of all of the data that's having to sort with less interconnectivity. Okay. Gosh, it makes me, no, sorry, I was just going to say, it makes me think of a child with dyslexia, an adult with dyslexia that is, that is thriving, that's continuing to press through oh my goodness, they have learned perseverance. They have this, they must have this deeply ingrained sort of work ethic and perseverance to be able to thrive despite all that extra brain work. The level of grit is incredible because they've learned to, to really dive through the hard stuff and, you know, to get to it. And when you take someone who has struggled for a long period of time and you give them the efficiency, it's like opening a whole new world for them. Wow. So in what ways do you see dyslexia manifest itself? <laughs> like, What are we seeing in the classroom? What are we seeing at home? So that varies also. A lot of people think that um, dyslexia is only in one thing is the child cannot read. And that's not usually the truth. Sometimes in the early ages, it is that the child hasn't learned to read. 
Um, many times our children, especially like in stealth dyslexia, they actually learn to read by word calling. They word call, they memorize the words, they get up, uh, you know, later in life and the comprehension is being affected. So they're having to read it two and three or four times to get it. And unfortunately, this is a technique that we teach kids, you know, practice reading it two or three or four times so that you get fluency, right? And that's a good thing to get fluency. But the dyslexic child tends to interpret that to mean I need to read it two or three times to get it. And so they're just tend to work harder. They tend to work slower. They tend to be highly emotional with a lot of anxiety, uh, when it comes especially to timed things like time test, timed reading, cold readings are very difficult because they're used to reading things two or three times to get it. So you can see all of those evidences there. A lot of sensory issues can be involved with uh, dyslexia. So we see a lot of different types of dyslexia that impact. In uh, 2014, some Norwegian scientists actually were talking uh, and doing a discovery with through the brain and research and came across attentional dyslexia where words were actually traveling meaning. So the meaning of the word, maybe you read the word mayor, but you say pregnant horse. And so what you're saying is what you're meaning, you're saying the meaning, even though you're reading a different word because your brain's intentional line, right? Wow. Okay, Denise's Southern accent. Uh-huh. I slowed I down lost. my comprehension of what she was just saying. Same I here. you said mayor, M-A-Y-O-R, like the right. person that leads the city. Uh-huh. You were saying mayor. Mayor, that's a pregnant <laughs> horse. Okay. <laughs> and same here, Amy, it took me this minute. We're like We're all Southerners. That's funny to me. <laughs> well so you're you're talking about like I'm, I'm hearing you you know state things that are warning signs for parents to look for things that that parents need to be aware of and so you've named a free a few what else could parents be on the lookout for with their young children to um to be prepared or watch for signs of dyslexia. Yeah, and before you answer that, let me just uh, let me just add that um, we don't always, as parents, see what the teacher sees mm, in the classroom. Right. And so, right. for example, my son Evan fell through the cracks, um, you know, until fourth grade because I I could see him read because he was memorizing words. Wow. Yeah. But I didn't realize that he had no ability to apply sound to code and could not spell. And so I wasn't seeing what the teacher was seeing. Okay. So anyway, so speak to speak to how parents can be on the lookout for potential problems and red flags. So uh, one of the biggest clues, especially early on, is when their verbal ability is much, much higher than their ability to relate words to context. And what I mean by that is a contextual word such as hot, where they only have one meaning to the word hot, right? But they can use huge words, like big words. And um, they tend to use much bigger words and stick with one simple meaning for a word like hot. Does that make sense? When they're writing or talking? Yeah. When they're, when, they're, when they're speech, yes, in their speech, they use the word hot only to mean, you know, heat. 
and they don't really use that word for other contexts. So this is one that a lot of parents uh, are like, I don't know why this vocabulary is so huge when we talk, but when we go to write, we use really simplistic language. We can't put on the paper anything like we talk or when we go to read, you know, so that, that disconnect can really be a sign of not only of dyslexia, but often dysgraphia because they, which is a, you know, a related disorder Um, that's harder for them to get their thought process to the paper. And so they tend to go simplistic getting it to paper because they have to think of the code and what I said, and it, it tasks that working memory so much um, that, that their language comes down significantly. So that's one of the big signs early on is the language doesn't match their print and paper interaction. There's a disconnect there and what happens uh, there. Withdrawal, um, a lot of times around age nine, uh, they start feeling different. They start saying uh, self-shaming words. Uh, Dr. Sally Shaywitz on uh, the website, um, Children of the Code, not the corn, childrenofthecode.org <laughs> um, is a really good place to go. And on that one, it talks about mind shape talks about, you know, how mind shame starts very early on. They're embarrassed that they can't or the sibling can. And so they start thriving in other areas, maybe in, you know, dramatics and dance. And, you know, they want to be at all those other places, but they avoid schoolwork and they cry and they have such, you know, meltdowns and things when it comes to doing schoolwork. So those are some of the bigger signs that you see. Um, other than they can word call really well, but then you ask them for what they just read and their comprehension is off because they were working so hard to word call and to code, then they lost complete meaning of the experience. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Did you see that with Evan? Do you, does some of that ring true with your experiences? Sure. I mean, Evan is a musician and an athlete Uh because that's what he leaned into. That's where he was most comfortable. And in conversation, he is, he is so well-spoken. He's just, you know, very verbally adept, but like you said, it, it wasn't on paper. Yeah. And we see a lot of comorbidity. We see a lot, and that's a fancy word that basically means ADD and dyslexia together. Um, So many times, uh, a lot of our dyslexic children get diagnosed with ADD or ADHD uh, because that's what's presenting. And the dyslexia kind of gets left behind the curtain until, you know, they're older, um, because it's a processing issue, uh, people just say, well, he's just slower. He's not interested. Like in my siblings case, they're just not interested in reading They're, You know, my sister was always the drama queen and, uh, I mean, she was, she was homecoming queen. She was, you know, she was in all of those wonderful things. And she's like one of the most brilliant people I know. I mean, she's like super, super brilliant. Um, and skilled in every area. And so is my brother, but they both felt inept when, you know, to themselves, they felt unable uh, until they understood, you know, that ability. And then both of them, I mean, today, much more highly successful than I am. Uh, <laughs> they're just, you know, rock stars. Um, but it's just because they had the gift. It was just hidden behind the curtain. And once you pull the curtain back, the gift shown. Wow. 
we're going to get to interventions, um, things to help dyslexia. But even before that, I'm just from that emotional place, that encouragement place as a parent, if a parent is seeing these signs, or even if dyslexia is officially diagnosed, and they're starting to see that the child with that self-shaming and those struggles, what, what can we do as parents if we're seeing our kids struggle with dyslexia? I think besides one of the first things, yeah, besides intervention, right, one of the right. first things you can do is, is you can see them. Uh, that's the most powerful thing that you can do is, is to tell a child, I see you. I see what you're going through. I see your struggle. I am going to partner with you and get the help that you need, whether, you know, whatever intervention phase, I am going to, you know, do my part to walk with you because I see you. You are not broken. This is another thing, you know, there's nothing wrong with you. You learn a little differently. You process things a little differently. And we're going to help you to cope in this world. A lot of my parents, I tell them this. Remember that a race car is fabulous on the racetrack. But if you take that beautiful, wonderful, very fast race car that's worth 10 times what my car is, and you put it on the same road in Louisiana, our roads are terrible. Uh, if you put <laughs> it on this same road, then you're going to blow a tire and you're going to go slow because you're going to slip. Okay. And so you're not going to perform well at all. And you're going to look like you can't drive, like you can't move anywhere. Okay. So you have this wonderful, fastest race car ever when it's in the right place. It can move some monkeys, okay? It can get them around. <laughs> but then when you get over here and you're trying to cope with all the other cars going around, you feel like you're slipping and sliding and having no traction. So all we've got to do with intervention is swap out the tires. You got to swap out the tires for this other world and then put them back on when you go to your world. That's awesome. It mm. is. All right. So speaking of intervention, talk to us about what are the most effective ways to address dyslexia? So because of the different types of dyslexia, one of the first things that I would love every parent to do is first and foremost, go get a cognitive assessment. I don't care where you go and get that cognitive assessment, but go find out what is the underlying piece that's causing that. Because many children are missed in our school systems because the checklists are primarily looking for dysphonetic dyslexia. And dysphonetic dyslexia is one out of nine types. So your child may be struggling with that and the teacher says, no, it's not dyslexia. So you really need to have a full cognitive assessment wherever you get that done um, because that's a first step in uh, addressing and understanding is it primarily a memory, long-term memory processing issue? Is it in the auditory processor? Is it in the visual processor? Where are your strengths? Where are your weaknesses? Because understanding that can be all the difference in choosing the right interventional tool that you want to use, okay? Um, background, you know, I was in the public school system for 21 years um, as a dyslexia specialty specialist for 13 of those years. Um, so, and a district reading coordinator. So I worked, you know, at the district level and at the lower level, there are so many different programs out there. I mean, there's everything from the Scottish Rite Take Flight to the CEI, you know, Institute 
there, there is Linda Mayfield. I, I can name Wilson and Davis and Brighton. And I mean, there's a ton, Barton, you know, so many different methodologies out there. Understanding what's the right methodology for you and under, in addressing that is partway, well, no, it is. It is the reason why I own a Learning Rec Center right now. Okay. So it started because I was investigating what is the cause behind dyslexia? What in the brain is off or not functioning in the same way? And I started looking and reading and I I read everything that I could get my hands on um, about how the brain learns and wanting to do that. And that's how I came across Learning Rx in a roundabout way. I actually had a parent of one of my dyslexic students I had worked with that child from second grade, understand I'm a specialist here in the district, and I worked with him from second grade to eighth grade. And every year in all these different programs, I would see him take a couple steps forward and steps back, steps forward, steps back. And it was this constant process. And he was making small gains, but they weren't huge gains. And his mama took him to Learning Arts in uh, Longview at that time. And within six weeks, this duck and cover kid, and what I mean by that is every time he got called on, he ducked and covered. Um, You know, he pulled that hoodie up. You know, he didn't want to be called on. And I was his reading teacher. And within six weeks, the kid's raising his hand to answer questions in reading class in eighth grade. And I'm like, what? What happened to this kid? You know? And so I called his mom in and she told me, and I was like, Okay, RX, that has to be a drug, right? I mean, has to be. And so I was like, well, could I like maybe go with you one evening and see what they're doing? And so I went, I was blown away. I was like, I don't understand how this is really changing, but it had all the right things in it. It had the coding that was, you know, uh, organized and methodical and all of that, just like the Orton Gillinghams and some of the other methodologies were there. It had, you know, the kinesthetic connect that was in there like Barton. It had the wonderful pieces in there, lot of the pictures and, and wonderful things like Spalding. Uh, it pulled the best of every method that I knew and put it all together at one. Plus... It worked on memory, plus it worked on processing. It blew my mind that all of these different pieces were coming together and how they were so intricately woven. That was the cool piece. And so to watch this kid go from, like I said, duck and cover to thriving blew my ever-loving mind. And his mom (laughs) was a speech therapist, you know? And so she had been working with him. It wasn't like she had it, you know? And so this was just one of those things that took me to the next level. And of course, so my next step was, I want this in my school system. I want to, you know, call this company and I need to put this in my school system so other kids can do that. Well, you know, the reality of that is the way that we do things in school, we're not doing as much one-to-one. It's hard to address one-to-one in the school setting, in the school day. I had 149 dyslexic students that I was seeing over the course of a week as a oh, dyslexic Can you imagine? Yeah, traveling <laughs> multiple campuses, seeing these kids. I had to have them in small groups. I couldn't do one-to-one. And so just looking at methodology and saying, it would take me 10 years to do the intervention that Learning Rx is doing with a child in six months. Mm-hmm. That's really where the power is. It's that intricately woven intensity 
that makes the biggest gigantic changes that you see. And so you left your career in the school system. I did. Yeah. I actually went to my boss. She was the uh, super assistant superintendent. And I went to her and I told her, you know, we got to do this. This is, you know, the way to go. And so we did the investigation together. And uh, she was three years from retirement. And I was a broke teacher. And <laughs> she told me, she said, I'm three years from retirement. I'll put up the money if you put skin in the game. Um, in Texas, there's a wonderful little uh, thing. Your age plus your years of teaching have to equal 85 to retire. So I had enough years in that I could go do a whole different career, come back and still retire because I was already vested. You only have to be five years to vest in Texas. And I had already been in the system 20 years. And so she was like, if you want to leave and you want to do this, and, you know, I'll put up the money to do it. And so she did. She put up the money to do it. Uh, Dr. Margie Bill, I salute you. Um, and <laughs> she she actually uh, did learning arts with me for several years. And then um, I bought her out and she opened, uh, well, she bought out the Longview Center and had that for a few years before she officially retired, uh, you know, and did her thing. And I think even now she's doing some things in education just because that's who she is. Yeah. But... The point of it is, it was skin in the game. So 15 years I've been doing this. Uh, I'm super passionate about it. I read everything I can get my hands on about dyslexia and everything that we're learning. It's a constantly a changing field. You're learning more and more things constantly because we're doing more scans in the brain. We're doing more investigational. And I love that. As a society, we're getting back to the science behind the reading. Um, that is really important to me because the science behind reading is really the key to answering what's going on in the brain while we're, while we're learning and having these learning processes. Yeah. Absolutely. So um, speaking of learning RX, um, we're going to yeah. take a break. Let Terry read um, an an ad from Learning Arts <laughs> who sponsors our show. Um, and when we come back, I want to talk about, um, do you need an official diagnosis in order to pursue this route? Um, what's, what are related disorders? What, let's talk about that when we come back from the break. That's right. Are you concerned about your child's reading or spelling performance? Are you worried your child's reading curriculum isn't thorough enough? Well, most learning struggles aren't the results of poor curriculum or instruction. They're typically caused by having cognitive skills that need to be strengthened. Skills like auditory processing, memory, and processing speed. Learning RX one-on-one brain training programs are designed to target and strengthen the skills that we rely on for reading, spelling, writing, and learning. Learning RX can help you identify which skills may be keeping your child from performing their best. In fact, they've worked with more than 100,000 children and adults who wanted to think and perform better. They'd like to help get your child on the path to a brighter and more confident future. Give Learning RX a call at 866 Brain01 or visit learningrx.com. That's learningrx.com. And we're back talking to Donisa Walker, reading and dyslexia specialist and owner of Learning RX Shreveport. So Donisa, talk to us a little bit about um, how important an official dyslexia diagnosis is. 
Um, do you actually need one to come in uh, to Learning RX? What's the benefit of getting one first or at all? Just talk us through that for parents who are wondering. So, first of all, it's really hard to get a dyslexia diagnosis nowadays. Uh, I know that sounds very frustrating and a lot of people are like, what? I mean, dyslexia is super common. One in five children have dyslexia. So, it's a super, super common thing, okay? So, and again, we're talking about all those different types, right? So, you have to do very specific testing to find out specific types. And there's very few people who are doing that testing on a a full basis nowadays. There There are some, but it's harder. In some areas, probably it's harder than other areas. Uh, to find the specialist or the people that do that, to find a dyslexia school uh, here in our area, it's incredibly difficult. So I'm not sure, you know, for all the areas across the country, you know, how difficult it is. So what is the reason to have a dyslexia diagnosis? Um, One reason to have a dyslexia diagnosis is if you need to get accommodations for the school system and you're wanting to do that, generally they're going to request a diagnosis for that, whether that's, you know, uh, elementary school, high school, or even college. Um, They're going to want some kind of documentation. If you're wanting help on some type of standardized test, um, even as you go up, you know, the doctor's test or the LSAT or the GRE, any of those, if you're needing help, uh, you know, I've recently had had someone who had dyslexia in their late 60s who was needing, you know, intervention because getting a diagnosis was incredibly difficult at that age. Um, but they were having to take a master electrician test after they've been doing it their whole career. <laughs> you know, a new test was introduced. Yeah. Uh, so there's different reasons, you know, to go and seek that diagnosis. At Learning RX, we don't require you to have a diagnosis. Um, that's not a requirement for you to come here, for you to get intervention, for you to do a test and find out what your underlying cognitive weakness is. In fact, we don't focus on diagnosis. That's not. We want to get to the root cause and we actually want to help you change those skills that are inefficient skills into efficiencies. Okay. So that doesn't mean that you automatically become fixed because you weren't broken. Okay. So that's the whole thing. You had an inefficiency and you took it to an efficiency. Okay. So you boosted that skill set. And for a lot of people that make it, that may be coming from 10% to 20%, right? Um, For some people that can come from one to two, you doubled your skill, right? So it just depends on where your starting point is. I mean, if you start at 80%, going up to 85, that's a 5% boost. So it just depends on your skill set. Now, I can tell you all day long that our results are bar none to anybody else's because I do this. I mean, I've had here locally over 1,500 graduates um, at at our campus, um, which is mind-boggling. I mean, I get so many lies and stories. I could, we could spend hours talking about all the stories. Um, But dyslexia impacts people at so many different points. And so, I mean, there's dyslexia that comes from trauma, trauma induced dyslexia, such as TBIs, or even, you know, some, some memory issues that can cause those. Uh, Even had some people recently who've been struggling with some COVID um, type things that have caused the same symptomology and weak skills present in dyslexia now present in their brain because of 
masking and COVID and so many things that push that down. Now, does that mean that they're formally dyslexic or they're going to get that diagnosis? Very hard to do. Very hard to do. So not about slapping on that label for me. It's more about getting that intervention. Okay. So can you have a a reading problem or a reading struggle without it being dyslexia? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Two out of five people have reading issues. Okay. One out of five dyslexic. So that's only 50% of the people with reading difficulties that have dyslexia. So don't, don't think that sometimes that's an instructional issue. In fact, when you're looking at dyslexia diagnosis, you're looking at the five different trees, uh, you know, that there's a family history that there's, you know, um, you've had adequate instruction and you've had adequate nutrition and things that you need for your brain to develop properly, you know, so you're looking at all those different trees to make sure before you actually get to a formal diagnosis. And that's why often many people are missed out on a formal diagnosis who have all of the tendencies or what we call characteristics of dyslexia. So you can have characteristics of dyslexia and not be dyslexic and still struggle with the same thing. Um, Sometimes you can even look at it. Interesting uh, research says that you can do brain scans as early as age four and identify dyslexia from a brain scan. Um, I've not seen all of those scans. I've seen a few of those. Um, What I really like is also looking at like Dr. Shaywitz's research and showing that children who had dyslexia through brain training, actual brain scans, you know, through brain training and not just learning RX brain training, but brain training, actually changing the way that the brain wires so that you cannot tell the difference between the dyslexic brain and the quote unquote normal brain. That's powerful. That's super powerful. That's not saying that you were fixed and broken, but it's saying that again, you changed those tires and now you're running on the road just as efficiently as, as everybody else, but you still have the gift. Right. And that's the cool part. So now you can run on both tracks when my car can only run on this track. Right. I love that perspective again, that, um, that there's nothing broken, that an intervention is not about fixing your child. That intervention is not about, uh, so to speak, curing dyslexia, but that intervention is to help your child recover from the dyslexic inefficiencies recover. I don't know. Maybe that's the wrong word to help your child (laughs) um, improve the dyslexic inefficiencies. Just change the tires. I love that analogy. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, I want to just clarify before parents go running out asking their doctor for a functional MRI for dyslexia. So we use that in research that we do not use functional MRI on four-year-olds to diagnose dyslexia clinically. Right. <laughs> so. Not diagnostic. Yeah. But sorry. I'm glad that you clarified that. No, yeah. I was saying that researchers have discovered yes. that. Yes. Yeah. No, not, you not said it right. I just wanted to clarify <laughs> because I don't want to line out the door, at, you know, every, all the family doctors of everyone listening oh, yeah. asking for their MRI. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that would be a hot mess. Well, and who wants to put your child through that? They're going through enough anyway. So trying to do that and and adding to the frustration. I mean, really, the thing about is embracing who they are for their skills that they do have and Mm -hmm. giving them the tools that they need in order to boost that skill and make it more efficient. And like I said, what I love behind the power of learning RX is it's not that it's magic. 
It's not magic. It's hard work. Uh, it's exercise, you know, but it boosts the efficiency. And so that's what I love is that you can go from being a non-reader to being a reader just by getting the right skill set. Yeah, absolutely. So um, for those of you who have not seen any of my uh, testimonies of Learning Rx from my son, Evan, um, this is exactly the the situation that he was in. This is exactly the program that he went through. Um, And so I'm not just a researcher, but also a mom and a believer in this completely. Um, So Donisa, can you take a few minutes for um, parents who aren't necessarily familiar with what brain training is um, and how we can um, impact change in the brain for uh, children and adults with dyslexia? What does it look like? Like, what does it look like to come um, and get brain training for dyslexia? Yeah. And, re- and reading well, difficulties in general. Yeah. So first, we, we, we do the core assessment. The reason why is not to slap a diagnosis on anybody, but rather to look at where those weaknesses are and so that we can do the appropriate exercises to base this skill. So um, the primary skill that's weak in dyslexia, all types. Okay, because there's different types, but all types is is going to be a processing speed issue because it's a processing speed delay. Right. And so, again, that race car thing, efficiency thing. So if you think of it in that terminology and you say, okay, well, this is a skill, then building that rapid automatic naming skill is really incredible. But honestly, if you sat there and just did rapid automatic naming all the time, the child would be bored out of their ever loving mind and they would (laughs) give up on you. Okay. And that's not going to change the ability to read automatically just by changing one skill. So what makes the training so dynamic is the intricacies of changing those things um, constantly. You're doing constant different exercises. Um, one of the things I love about brain training is goes back to the principle and the science that tells us when you play anything, you learn it by doing it twice. When you do drill, 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 thing, it takes you 10 times. So if you can play with it, then it's going to be much more fun. So if you can play with sounds and play with words and pull them into that brain training in a competitive manner, and with that supportive system of that private one-to-one coach, then you're getting the best of both worlds because you're getting encouraging that child who's, you know, on that cusp to get out of that mind shame and I'm cheering you on. I'm your cheerleader and I'm pushing you to try it. It's hard. I get that it's hard, but let's try it one more time. Or, hey, let's just say this one's the toughest skill for you. Let's say we're going to try it three times today. And then if you don't are done with it, we'll move on. Okay. And that, that ability to just move that bubble a little bit for them at a time is incredible. And when I tell my kids, again, going back to the race car, you know, every race track, they run around those tracks and then they have to run through the pits. And the pit has to regas them up and the pit has to change those tires out and it has to do those things really fast. And in doing the faster that they do it, the more likely that car is to win the race. And so when I tell them we're working on processing speed because we want to be the fastest one on that race so that we can get that efficiency uh, where we need to do it. And they love that because then timing of things that usually brought them anxiety now becomes ownership, you know? 
Um, I love the fact that when you're doing the mad minute, and I tell my teachers that I'm working with, instead of going and saying, okay, and if you're a homeschool mom, same thing, instead of saying, okay, we're going to see how many math facts you can get done in one minute if you don't get it done, let them finish. Let them finish the page because one of the biggest frustrations uh, as a reader is never getting to finish the story in a cold read. Never. You only get it so far and you never get to finish the story. How irritating is that? So let them finish the story and time them. And then the next time they read, they read it faster because they now have a grasp of getting to finish the story. So my gosh, let them finish the story. Let them finish the math facts page. Let them have that opportunity to do that. And, and without the stress, just let it be. And then when they increase their time, let them measure their own time and let that become an increase for them and a win for them. Yeah. To always have that encouragement. That's so good. It's that, that process of building that grit, building that resilience instead of constantly being frustrated. That's so good. Well, and the fact like even like we use the metronome for some things here, like my little metronome, that you you can you can take that and you can start it at a lower level and you can boost that, you know, each time. And they're used to doing it every other beat. So when you boost it up just a little bit at a time, they're getting faster and faster because they're doing it to every other beat without that crunch, without that stress. And, and they just don't even realize that they're getting faster and faster because you've boosted it so gradually for them as their personal coach that they have gotten up to the average reading speed before they even know it. That's awesome. Hey, talk to us a little bit about the benefits of working one-on-one um, with a personal coach or a trainer. Yeah, let me just say, there, there's nothing like it. Um, one, because you know the intricacies of that person, you know their their insides or downsides or upside downs. Um, you know when it's a bad day, you know when it's a good day, you know when to push in certain areas and when not to push in certain areas. You just can't do that in a classroom. I told you I was in a classroom for many years and I was working in small groups, you know, uh, with with kiddos and one-to-one. The power of one-to-one is that you can do that immediate feedback, the immediate feedback that doesn't have that second you can move it on the spot and sequence things. Um, The power of the words that you use and being able to lift them up when they're in a bad place, um, being able to encourage them, being able to let them see the gains that they're not seeing for themselves. Um, You know, as parents, we don't often see that. I, I just had to buy Uh, new pants for my son. And um, I bought the pants that I thought that he wore. And they came in and he said, Mom, these are too short. And I (laughs) said, Well, that's the length that you've been wearing. And he was like, Have you looked at me? I'm over six years old. And I was like, Oh, oh, yeah, (laughs) I need to get pants that are two inches longer, right? So this is what happens to us as parents is that we don't realize it. You know, we don't realize that there's been growth because we see it every day, right? And it happens in the classroom too. We don't see big leaps of growth, but a personal trainer, every moment you see every personal little bitty gain becomes huge and you can celebrate the small steps as big things and, and that's powerful. That is super powerful for someone who has struggled to make small steps, you know. 
And you're, you quantify that change, right? I mean, you're measuring that in every single training session, every single session, every single session, you are seeing those, those steps and those, those improvements. If that improvement is a two second improvement, or, you know, you're reading, you know, this much faster, and you're able to do that, whereas the child or the parent or even the teacher would not even notice that change. Yeah. Um, because you're seeing it on this step-by-step basis and that's incredible. And when you tell them that there's been big, 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 big change and they don't realize how big, big, big that change is, they think it's just, you know, I don't, I don't see any difference. I don't see any difference. Okay. Well, let me show you where you were and let me show you where you are. And mm-hmm. that is powerful. And I can say, this is what you looked like when you started. This is what the, your weaknesses were. And this is where you are right now. And then it's like, oh Yeah. I can do this because they grew into that in themselves and they didn't realize how much that they had even grown. Yeah. It's something that we see like people that go to a personal trainer or go to the gym or on some diet program or whatever, they do the before and after pictures or the before and after measurements. But we don't hear about that much in, in this kind of thing, cognitive growth. Okay, except for standardized testing and like in public schools, which mostly kids just you know, they don't want to have to deal with, but I just love that, that as you're keeping track, you can show them progress. So in this process, kids are not just having cognitive gains. They are having confidence gains. They are getting so much emotional growth, so much psychological growth, and not just learning to read better. There's even more to it. Absolutely. There's just so much power to that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Being able to believe in yourself and to embrace that for yourself is just one of the most powerful things that you can do in the world. And so if you can believe in yourself, that alone is the gift that keeps on giving. Yeah. That confidence. So Donnie, is there anything else that you'd like to leave our guests and listeners with today that you haven't gotten to say? Yes. It's never too late. There is no such thing as being stuck with the brain that you're in. There's no such thing as being stuck in your situation. You can be 30, 40, 50, 60, and been unable to read your whole life. And you can come back and you can do brain training and you can read. That to me is priceless. It doesn't matter. You can read. We can help. I love that. Yes. So this has been a fantastic conversation today with our very special guest, Donisa Walker, um, talking to us about dyslexia and reading struggles for all ages um, and the promise of brain training um, for helping to remediate those struggles. So if you would like to learn more about Donisa and her work, um, you can find her on social media at Donisa, Donisa.Walker, that's D-O-N-E-S-A dot Walker. Um, her website is learningrx.com slash Shreveport, right? Um, and then the main website uh, for LearningRx is learningrx.com. Um, you can also call one eight six six brain zero one as Terry mentioned in the ad, um, to get connected um, with a brain training program. So you don't have to even live near a center. Um, LearningRx offers brain training programs via Zoom. Um, and there's peer-reviewed research that shows that uh, it's as effective. So if you don't live near a center, it's fine. Um, mm-hmm. You can get training for you or your child. And it's still one-to-one. 
And it's still yeah. one-to-one. Absolutely. Yeah. So thank you so much for listening today. If you liked our show, we would love it if you would leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. If you would rather watch us, we are on YouTube and you can find us on every social media channel at The Brainy Moms. So look, until next time, we know that you're busy moms and we're busy moms. So we're out. See ya.